This is the Ask Pastor Alex podcast with your host, Pastor Alex. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We are here with another episode and another question. And the question for this episode is, what does the Bible say about gender and sexuality? And full disclosure, this was one of the very first questions ever asked and submitted to the Ask Pastor Alex podcast, but I have been putting it off intentionally, not because I'm afraid of the topic or don't want to address the topic, but it's because I knew that I was going to be recording this with my good friend, my buddy, my partner in ministry, the associate pastor of George's Creek Baptist Church, Pastor Jordan Massey. So Jordan, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back. All right. Well, good to have you. Uh, you might remember Jordan from our Easter episode when we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. He is back now, and we're going to discuss this topic and dive in to what does the Bible teach about gender and sexuality. And Jordan, initial thoughts on just the question itself and its relevance for today. Yeah, so this is a question that obviously in our culture has taken over a lot of culture. It's a question that really can't be avoided yeah. by Christians anymore, right? And, and it just I, happens to be Pride Month as we're it recording does, this. And right? that wasn't on purpose. No, it wasn't. Um, but it's kind of a good reminder for us as Christians because I feel like a lot of churches and believers try to just avoid it. And it's like, you know, we know what we believe, but we don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but we need to. And you do the church a disservice when you take that approach because there are a lot of young people in the church who are very confused on this topic and they're being exposed to TikTok and social media, mm -hmm. uh, their friends, public schools, schools, public schools, and um, they're hearing the other side. And if Christians don't come at that same topic from the biblical perspective, then they're only hearing one side. So and there's a lot of people out there, especially on the different social media apps, especially ones like TikTok, that uh, people get on there calling themselves Christians and say things like, well, the Bible doesn't actually condemn homosexuality. The Bible doesn't actually say anything about these topics. And so the church really needs to go at these topics and actually share biblical truth. Yeah. That's right. So we're going to dive in. We are going to just state at the beginning that this is going to be a long episode because... Because uh, I'm here. Because Jordan's here. <laughs> but there's also a lot that goes into this topic, and we want to make sure that we do it justice, which we probably still won't in one episode, but we're going to do the best we can. And we're going to divide it into those two parts. So what does the Bible say about gender and sexuality? And so we're going to start with the first part of that question, which is what does the Bible say or teach? about gender. And uh, Jordan, you want to head that one up? Yeah. So this is once again where a lot of confusion, sadly, ends up popping up when you just say the word gender. Right. Right. And especially nowadays, people will say that there is a difference between gender and sex. Even though they rarely define what that difference is, and it right. becomes a whole lot of muddy water and yeah. really no way to prove them wrong or right based on how they define certain things. Exactly. And when you actually get into a conversation with someone that tries to say that, that gender is just like a social construct, right. when you actually get to the end of their argument or their theory of it, it actually always boils back down to sex. Yeah. And Every what time. it comes down to, especially as believers, is... We didn't come up with it. Right. <laughs> right? This is something, you know, I teach uh, students in youth group all the time. And something I tell them is if it's something that we created, 
then we can make the rules for it. That's right. But if we didn't, if God made it, then he makes the rules for it. So exactly. we look at when he created humans, right? Okay. What does the Bible that's, say? That's in Genesis um, one twenty-seven, right? When he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Exactly. So in the beginning, when God's creating everything and he finishes off his creation with the pinnacle of his creation, mm -hmm. um, creating this creature that's going to be made in his own image, which is unlike anything else he's created at this point, he makes them male and female. And so from God's perspective and according to God's design, not even just his perspective, but according to his design, there are only how many genders? Two. Two. Okay. And so how would you address that with maybe someone who, who wants to disagree about gender, sex, things like that. They, they might say, well, I, I don't believe in the Bible. Right. Well, that's, that's always a fun one right. to <laughs> right. go at, right? And I think it, part of that still, again, goes down to what I was saying before about who created us, right? Yep. That he gets to pick the rules. <laughs> um, we didn't create our gender, Yep. right? And at the risk of sounding a little bit harsh, it a lot of it does come down to common sense and looking at nature. Yeah, the rest of nature points to the duality of gender. But, yeah, that's true. That that's a everything good point. else has that. Are are there some slight variations in certain creatures? Yes, but look at humanity in particular. Now, one of the other things that a lot of people I've I've heard them say in argument to this is what about people born uh, intersex? Yeah. Very or, small percentage. Which is a very, very, very small percentage. But also, whenever that happens, we don't look at that. Doctors don't look at that and say this is a new gender. Mm. They say it's a birth defect. That's right. Yeah. There's something wrong there. They're intended to be something else. They're intended to be either male or female. That's a good point because I think people look at that today and they would say that's an example of something that is not male or female, therefore there is a third option, at least a third, but, but they would say obviously many more, right. even though no one can tell you how many genders there actually are right. when you ask them. But yeah, with intersex, the doctors don't go, oh, we have this brand new gender. This is amazing. They say, well, here's a birth defect. You were intended to be one or the other. Now some actions need to be taken in order to correct this birth defect. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, what, what else should we say about gender, do you think? Um, well, I think if we, if we're going to talk about gender, we need to talk about the ways that we're supposed to act, the way we're supposed to be as the genders. Okay. Well, right? real quick, before we move on to that, let's talk about the issue. Cause I mean, it, it could be the elephant in the room and that's the issue of transgenderism. Mm, right. And, and so we're seeing a lot today. So not only would people say there are an infinite number of genders, who knows, we can't even get a, a number. But we're dealing with a lot of people today who are claiming to be transgender. You'll have mm -hmm. a, a person who is biologically male, and that person might say that they feel female. Right. And so there's some sort of uh, disconnect happening there. Mm -hmm. and, and what's interesting to me is that you're seeing this in large numbers as we've never seen before. And, and so what's interesting to me is if you look at the entire history of humanity, you don't really see any transgender, uh, gender dysphoria, like any of this kind of stuff. It's just male and female, and there are, uh, throughout history, there have been homosexuals and things like that, but, but rarely have there ever been transgender. But now, you look at what's happening in our culture today, and it's like 
a large majority of kids are beginning to identify as a different gender. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a clear evidence of societal pressure, of indoctrination, of propaganda being at work in our children. So so that's an issue. But, but what would we say about how the Bible addresses the issue of maybe transgenderism, gender dysphoria, things like that? A lot of it comes down to, in my opinion, how our culture has dissolved truth. Mm. We've let postmodernism run rampant. True. Where we say to we we've said to these kids, we've said to each other that truth is whatever you make it. That's yeah. been the which which is why it now culture. has a a personal possessive pronoun. When have you ever seen that before, you know? Yeah. Your truth, his truth, her truth. Mm-hmm. What what does that even mean? You exactly. Know? It's always just been the truth. And I don't think anyone when the kind of move into this thought process of postmodernism first started that anyone was even thinking about this, right? about this outcome. But when you start taking away truth, actual truth of what it is, it leads you down a, a terrifying rabbit hole. And so for a lot of people, when they're told, oh, well, I truly can be whatever I feel like. Yes. Right? Not whatever I want to be. Right? That's what we all tell our kids. Like, hey, yeah. you want to be a doctor one day, that's great. Yeah, like, you can be whatever you want to be when you right. grow up. Yeah. But when we take that that step farther and we can say you can be whatever you feel, mm. then that really messes things up. As yeah. Christians, we have to hold we have to hold fast to what truth is, and that's gotta be what we approach the rest of our culture with and say there is a truth. That's right. The Bible shows us, even nature shows us, that there are two genders, that you are the gender you were born with. Yeah, and I think uh, you're making a good point there, especially with emphasizing that word feelings, because I think we are living in a time and in a culture when our feelings dictate everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are basically ruled by our feelings today. Um, that's You get a lot of the creation of like safe spaces and triggers and trigger mm-hmm. warnings and things like that. I mean... You're, you're basically having to cater to people's feelings, and and we're dominated by them. Yeah. And don't and, don't get us wrong. There there's nothing wrong with necessarily being careful with what we oh, say sure, to sure, people. Oh sure, sure, yeah. I'm not saying that at all. Right, and yeah. I, I know you're not, yeah. but I want to make sure our listeners know that's not what we're saying. Right. We're not saying when, especially as Christians, we we're not going out to offend people any more than the gospel naturally yeah. does. Right. right? But like you're saying, we've taken that a step too far. Right. And and so what's happened, I mean, and Jordan and I were discussing this um, maybe a week or so ago, is that, you know, 100 years ago, maybe even 50 years ago, if if a person had gone into a doctor's office and said, I know that I'm a biological male, but I feel like I'm a female, I want to do something about it, the doctor would say, yeah, we do need to do something about it. But the solution back then would have been to bring the emotive and the, the feelings in line with the physical reality of right. the fact that you are a biological male. Something is out of line mentally, and so we need to bring the mental in line with the physical, right? Now, a lot has happened in our culture, and you can thank the influences of people like Rousseau and Marx and Darwin and a whole bunch of other people. I mean, there's just been a lot of work and research done on this. They've had huge influence on our culture today. 
but basically by their influence, we now live in a time where we are no longer seeking to bring the feelings and the mental in line with the physical. We are now attributing truth and ultimate value to feelings and to emotion. And we are wanting to now bring the physical reality in line with this feeling that people have. Right. And, and so the solution today would be, Oh, okay. If you if you're out of line in that way, if you feel like you're a female but you're a biological male, well, we need to bring your physical reality in line with how you feel, rather than vice versa. So, right. it's crazy how our culture has shifted in that way. But it's important that we recognize it so that we don't think this is just something that happened by accident. It's it's no. It's a very intentional shift that's happened where truth is no longer what corresponds to reality. It's whatever you feel at any given moment. Right. And now we're seeing the very unfortunate snowball effect of letting that happen, that it's trickled down to the children. Yeah. That we're letting emotions dictate truth. So now we're listening to the most emotional creatures on the planet. That's right. Children. And let's be real. When we were kids, we all dressed in our opposite gender parents' clothes because we thought it was funny. Right, right. Right? I was like, how in the world does my mom wear high heels? So let's put them on and walk right. around the house. And like, look, mom, I'm a girl, blah, blah, blah. And it was funny. Yeah. And never once did I actually, like, want to be a girl. Right. And, and your parents didn't think, they didn't oh, well, Jordan put on high heels. Yeah, I think I've got, you know, I've got a younger sister. She grew up with two older brothers. I mean, she could hang with the the best of them. You know, she'd go outside. She was rough and tough. She did all the things that we did. Mm -hmm. And never once did my mom or a teacher or anyone come and say, hey, did you notice that your daughter is acting this way? I think she's actually a boy trapped in a female's body. Kids are being kids. Right. Kids, boys will play with baby dolls sometimes. Girls will throw footballs. I mean, it's just kids being kids. We are over-sexualizing constantly in our culture today. Mm -hmm. We are over-sexualizing our children. We're over-exposing them to sexual-type stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just what our culture is like now, and it's it's pushing children into something that they're later going to regret. And I've done a lot of research on this. And the majority of children who do end up transitioning at a young age, you know, so think, you know, pre-puberty or even shortly thereafter, after they transition, they ultimately will end up regretting it, Mm -hmm. but it's too late to go back and do something. And so they end up committing suicide. And so the suicide rate amongst transgenders is exponentially higher than almost any other demographic. And that's not because they're not accepted, they're not loved. It's because we have given them free reign to go with a lie rather than the truth. And we haven't given them the help they actually need rather than, you know, people think they're helping them, but that's not the help they actually need. What they actually need is for people to come alongside them and say, hey, there's something going on mentally here. And again, we never condemn mental disorders. We never condemn any sort of like mental illness. We are huge proponents here of mental health. You need to take care of your mental health, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that be depression, anxiety, you know, all sorts of other things that go into mental health. Prioritize that, take care of that, but understand that gender dysphoria is a mental health issue and it needs Mm -hmm. to be treated as such. You certainly don't need to alter the human body to correspond to how a person with a mental illness is feeling at a given time. Yeah. And I, I really hope that the uh, everyone listening from Christians to non-Christians hear uh, our heart and what we're saying with this yeah. is one of the main reasons that we feel it's so important and needed to talk about this is because people are losing their lives. That's right. And these are people that while we might disagree with 
um, on a philosophical and religious side, they're made in God's image. That's right. These are human beings. They're people that God loves. They're people that God loves. Yeah. And they're going through something that's made them make these choices. And way too often, the church isn't talking about it. Yeah. And we need to talk about it. And we need to show that we love these people, but also show that a lack of truth is what's brought our society to this point. And if we want to truly help people not reach that point of depression, then this is how we do it. And see, this is... This is one of my big holdups because I know that people might be listening to us and they would say, well, I disagree with what they're saying. They're mean, they're bigoted. And that that's okay if people want to think that, we'll take it. But but we do truly love people. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're not going around saying, well, I hope all the transgender people burn in hell and stuff like that. That's yeah. not our heart. We, we, want them, we want them to meet Jesus. Yeah, we want them to know Jesus. We want them to know God loves them and mm-hmm. that there is hope and salvation and renewal and in freedom in Christ. I mean, that is our heart. We're not condemning anybody. Yeah. We don't agree with them, but we're, we're certainly not condemning them. I don't agree with the sins I commit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I hate those things. Yeah. So, you know, like we're, we're not, we're not condemning, but we are saying that it's coming from a place of love that we, mm-hmm. we love these people. And, and here's where it really gets to me is that many people in our culture will say, well, Christians hate science. Christians are science deniers, you know, just pay attention to the science. But when it comes to this issue, for whatever reason, people ignore the science. It goes they, out the window. It goes out the window. They ignore the science. And then, you know, I, I've seen in the culture where people will condemn Christian parents for raising up their children in the ways of the Lord. And they'll go, well, you're indoctrinating. You're you're shaping them in a, in a wrong way. But, but, uh, but drag time story hour. But drag time story hour, okay. you know, stuff like that. Or, or trying to convince your five-year-old son that because he played with a baby doll, he's actually a girl and he needs to transition. You know, just, mm-hmm. just horrible things like that. But at the end of the day, I, I just want us as a society to recognize that this transgender movement that is happening, the science and all the research that is done on it, and I always encourage people, you can go and check me on this, the suicide rate is so exponentially higher mm-hmm. that it should cause us to pause as a society and say, okay, maybe this isn't the way. Yeah. Maybe this isn't something that we should do. Maybe we need to take a step back and reconsider what we're doing in this area because it's leading to just astronomical amounts of suicide and especially amongst younger individuals, you know, Mm -hmm. people who are not even pubescent at this point. So uh, this is a very serious issue. So, so just to kind of sum up, the Bible does say that there are two genders. That's it. There are male and female. That's how God created us. And that's a good, perfect design. Listen, so if you're out there struggling with that, God didn't make a mistake with you. If you are biologically one sex, but you feel another, God didn't make a mistake. He, He made you the way he wanted you to be made. And that means that there's something going on. I would seek help, you know, and there's a lot of help out there. Mm-hmm. But don't feed into what the culture or don't buy into what the culture is feeding you because the transitioning is not the way. It, it will lead to depression. It could lead to suicide. But at the end of the day, there are only two genders and, and God's design is perfect. Right. So I think this kind of leads back. We can do this this part pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Is... You said God's design of those two genders is perfect, right? And I think one of the areas that people also get a little upset with Christians and Christianity is how the, the ways that God made the two genders yeah. or the, the jobs he gave them, the roles he gave them. Um, so much I hear, 
you know, the Bible is sexist. Oh yeah. I <laughs> the hear Bible all the time. hates women. Um, right. And it just comes from a, uh, honestly, I, I think also a lack of clarity on the church's side of teaching it well. True. It's, uh, if, again, if we, one of those issues we want to avoid because it's like, yeah. oh, that could be controversial. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's better that people know what the Bible actually says than assume what it doesn't say. Right. And when it's actually taught clearly, it, it's really impossible to make those same claims. Yeah. Right. So like for the the different roles the genders have. Right. So, Alex, like, what would you say the role of the man is? Uh, God created the man to lead. He is uh, the leader of his family, of his household. And um, God also has assigned that position of leadership for men in the church as well. So, mm-hmm. And that's simply because uh, people miss this a lot, is that the church is in a lot of ways meant to be a reflection of the family. Right. And so since men are to lead their families, they are also to lead within the church. Exactly. And so, and, and that's a huge point too. Everyone always goes to that Ephesians 5 passage and they always take it out of context, and yep. they always, you know, use this as the big sexist verse because they only read the first part. That's right. right. Wives submit to your own husbands. Yeah. Right. And then it's like then they stop and they don't go any farther. And we'll I'll, we'll get to women in a second, but the charge that Paul gives to husbands there is a really hard charge. Yeah. <laughs> right. He says, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and that's the gave standard. himself up for her." Yeah, that's the standard. Yeah. Like, how y'all doing at that, man? <laughs> Not great, my dude. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so people want to be like, "Oh, well, you know, the Bible says this harsh thing towards women. Women submit to your husbands," but they miss the part that God says to men. Hey, you know that perfect love that Jesus has for his bride? You're you know to that imitate willingness that. to be crucified? Yeah, yeah. You're to for do that for that your wife. For someone that didn't even deserve it? Right. Right? And then, so you're like, oh, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. terrible. I, I'm falling short on that all mm-hmm. the time, you know? So yeah. it's not easy. And it's not, like you're saying, it's not just in marriage. And I think first and foremost, though, it is in marriage. Yes. It was the first institution God made. Yep. Before he even made the church, he made the family. That's right. Right? So... Men's first and foremost role is to be that spiritual leader of the family. And then, yes, it goes into the church that we are called to be leaders in the church, yeah. right? Um, it would probably a topic for another podcast, but the, Submit the question, <laughs> right? But the role of pastorship, yeah, according to the Bible. Oh, yeah, I'm surprised no one's submitted that. You know, can women be pastors? It's coming, I know it's, it's coming, yeah. but yeah, uh, next time, next time. <laughs> um, but according to the Bible, that's supposed to be a man. Yeah, that's right. And because, again, the man in this case is representing Christ in this relationship. Yes. And it's supposed to be the head of the church. Now, Alex, you're the pastor of this church. You are not the head of this church. No, and I tell people that all the time. Right. I don't like the spotlight. I try to get it <laughs> off me as much as I possibly can. Uh, Alex is not the head of George's Creek Baptist Church. Exactly. Jesus is. Right. And we need not... To forget that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But men should be in those roles of leadership in the church, right? Yeah. Because, well, see, and I think that's an important point that gets often overlooked, and I try to mm-hmm. make this point, so we won't make this about women pastors or anything. Right. I promise you we won't, but, um, <laughs> but I do try to make this point when this topic comes up that it's a relief that women are not called to serve in that capacity. Yes. 
whether it be you know um, a pastor, uh, whether it be the leader of their household and things like that. And and hey, again, we're not saying women can't do these things. No, because, we'll actually get there in just a second. Yeah, we'll, and talk about yeah, that. we'll get there in a second because let's shout out to my mom. She's the greatest woman I've ever met in my life. She raised three kids by herself. She's my hero. Mm-hmm. So shout out, mom. You did an amazing job. But so that's not saying they can't do that. It's oh, yeah. again that phrase that you were saying shouldn't have to. Right. Mm -hmm. If more men were stepping up and doing what God called them to do, then women would be more able to do what God has called them to do. So this is actually an indictment upon men, as I always like to do, call men out. All right. Because Mm -hmm. just think back to the garden. Right. All the way back. Genesis chapter three. You know, people want to say, well, Eve is the one who sinned first. She took the fruit and everything. You read the Hebrew of that passage and you see that when the snake, the serpent is actually talking to Eve, he's using the plural form of you. Mm -hmm. Who's the other person there? Yeah. It's Adam. He is standing there the entire time that this snake is tempting his wife, he and he is doing nothing. nothing. He's passive. As a man, he should have stepped up. It was his role and his responsibility given to him from God to protect his family, to protect the garden. Part of that is keeping snakes out of your garden, and he's just mm-hmm. letting this snake talk his wife up, tempt her into sin, and he does nothing. Right. And so because he failed to do what God called him to do, the woman had to assume a role that was never intended for her, and she she failed, as it's going to be the case, because it's not God's design. Right. It, it, but it comes back to the man. Mm-hmm. He is ultimately who is at fault there because he stood by twiddling his thumbs doing nothing. <laughs> right. All right. So, so let's take uh, that right, into, so, <laughs> yeah, so let's take that into the, the female side of it, right? Yeah. So if the role of the man is the leader, then what's the role of the woman? Well, Genesis shows us that when God creates Eve. He uses a very crucial word. Very, very important When he word. makes the woman. He says, it is not good that man should be alone, so let's make a helper. Helper. For him. Yeah. And that The idea, Hebrew word there is azare, by the way. Hmm. Uh, and you might be about to touch on this. I don't know. If oh, you go ahead that. and finish that thought. Well, I was going to say, yeah. So the Hebrew word there, very important, is azare. It's actually also where you kind of get the name Ezra. So shout out to my youngest son. Nice. Uh, means a helper. But what's very interesting about that word azare in the Bible is that almost every time it is used, it's used of God. And so it's not a derogatory term at all. People will look at that and go, oh, a helper, a helpmate. That's so mean and demeaning towards women. Actually, it's reflective of God because that word is most often used in the Bible to describe God. Yeah. So let's go to the family side of this, right? Yeah. Like you were saying with your mom and how wonderful of an example of a woman that she is. Yes. Right? This idea of a helper. We said for men in the family, because we have to start with the family. That's yep. what came first. The, it's the, supposed to be the job of the man to be the spiritual leader, right? But is every man going to get that right? No. No. And so praise God that he can give us a godly woman to be our helper. My, my wife, Jessica, you know, God forbid I ever fall away hmm. um, and start to wander from the faith. But I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if I did that my wife is a suitable helper to continue leading our household Mm. until I'm able to come back in. And that's another important thing, right? Is she's there to, she'll be there to help our son Daniel and to help me. But hear this, everybody, hear this, you know, women too, that's also a challenge for them. It's a challenge for the women that they're supposed to be able to lead 
in case the man can't. Yeah, and there's a great example of that from the Bible, isn't there, George? That's Deborah, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, or Deborah. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. We'll say Deborah. Yeah, because um, people like to point to her, and they'll be like, well, look, God uh, made a female judge, and, right. but go ahead, Jordan. Yeah, so I love teaching this topic. I've taught it to so many um, teenagers especially, and like you said, Alex, everyone goes to Deborah. Yeah. Oh, but God made a female judge. Every time you see a woman have to step up, especially in the Old Testament and the scriptures, it is meant to be a slap in the face of Israel. Yep. It's meant to be an indictment on the men of Israel at the time. Because they weren't doing what they were supposed, they they supposed to. Right. And the other thing I love, though, about Deborah is a twofold thing. First off, Deborah did an incredible job as judge. Yes. <laughs> she was. She's one of the She few, shouldn't have had to. She shouldn't have had to. That key phrase again. But she did. And, and I'll even get back to that in a second. Yeah. Like, Deborah was one of the very few judges that had nothing negative written about her in the Bible. Yeah. And that's incredible. And Deborah was an incredible judge. But I think a lot of people also skip over the very first thing Deborah yeah. does <laughs> as a judge. Right? God calls her as the judge. So she accepts the calling. Right? And that's also a cool thing about Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> right? She um, hadn't, been, hadn't happened before. And Deborah's like... Okay, I'll do it. Sure. But the very first thing Deborah does in her role as judge is she goes to the military leader at the time named Barak, hmm. who, according to what the judges were, the judges were supposed to be at that time the spiritual and military leaders. Yes. So according to that thought, this man Barak probably should have been, should have been chosen judge. as judge. That's right. But for some reason, he wasn't there, right? And so God chose Deborah. And the very first thing she does is she goes to Barak and encourages him to lead. Yeah. She says, Barak, go lead these men into battle. And then he looks at her and says, I won't go to battle unless you go with me. <laughs> what a coward, right? right, right. You see why God didn't pick him. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's but, an example but, of a man not doing what he was supposed to do. Exactly. But look at what Deborah did. She didn't take this opportunity and puff her chest up and say, oh, God chose me. I'm better than the men. No, she was a helper. Yeah. And she went to Barak and did her best to help him step up and be the leader. And when still he chose not to, she did what God required of her. Yeah. But that was her first concern. So women, as helper, that should be your concern. This isn't a lesser calling than the men. No, it's, it, it's essential. And let me just take a, a moment here to tell you how essential this is. I could not do what I do on a weekly basis if I did not have my wife. Amen. <laughs> 100%. I fully believe that. Anna is my rock. She's my foundation. I mean, being a pastor, and especially like what our church has gone through recently with so many hospitalizations and mm -hmm. sicknesses and injuries and just horrible things, I have been overwhelmed and depressed and beaten down. And there are days I get home and I can barely even make it. And I'm like, I don't know how much longer I can keep going like this. And Anna's there and she encourages me. But mm -hmm. let me just say twofold on this. One, she sees what I go through and she would never want to have that burden upon her. All right. That's why I go back again and say it is actually a relief and a benefit to women that they are not called to serve in this capacity mm -hmm. because it is overwhelming and it is just it, it'll beat you down. And so she does not want that, but she is a perfect Azair. Mm -hmm. She is there to help me and encourage me and strengthen me. And she is just fulfilling that God given role. And because I have that, I'm able to fulfill my God given role. 
So it, both parts are, are necessary. Yeah. I can do what God has called me to do because Anna is doing what God has called her to do. Yeah. It's a beautiful design. I mean, right. because it's God. He yeah. gets everything right. Well, it's like in, in that sense, like when the beautiful design happens as it's supposed to, that passage of the two things that are asked of us to do as husband and wife become, I wouldn't say easy, but beautifully possible, yeah. <laughs> right? That we are supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church, right? Hmm. So many people have a problem with that word that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, right? But let's be honest, if more husbands actually treated their wives with as much loving kindness and self-sacrifice and devotion as Jesus loves us, hmm. then it's not going to be a problem for wives to submit to their husbands because they're going to look at their husband's actual leadership and say, I want to get behind that and not just get behind it. I want to help it. Yeah. Because that's when that wife is going to step up and her, do her duty and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. The Bible says when we get married, we become one. Yeah, that's right. That's what, again, there is no inequality here. There's no... Yeah, there's like, not different values. It's not different values. It's just different roles, right? Yeah, God is not saying men are more important and more valuable than women. Mm-hmm. He's not saying that at all. God consistently comes down harder on men yes, than does. women. Um <laughs> But he's saying, I have created these two genders, and they have their individual roles. And both roles are equally as important and valuable and necessary. Yeah. And I mean, so, let's, to, uh, let's, let's use like this example. We'll kind of we'll probably move on shortly after this. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like how God functions as the Trinity in that sense, right? He yeah. exists in three persons. One God, three one persons. One God, three persons. They have different roles yeah. that they fulfill as the that's Trinity, right. but the Son is no more important than the Spirit. Yeah, that's the right. The Spirit is no more important than the Father. And I love that we use that word helper yeah. as well. That's what Jesus even called the Spirit. That's right. Right? He's the helper. We don't look, we're, ha- we're doing horrible theology if we say the Holy Spirit is less important than the Father or the Son. That's right. Jesus literally said, it's to your benefit it's to your, yeah. that I go away, because <laughs> uh, then you get the helper. Mm-hmm. He's great. <laughs> he, he's great. He's, yeah. he's awesome. Women, that's what we that's what you get here yeah. is to be that helper role. Men, we are called to be the leader role. And both roles can be equally as hard. Exactly. I mean leadership is hard, but also trying to be a faithful because I know that there are some women out there who are strong Christian women mm-hmm. who are not married to Christian men. Yeah. And they are still called to be that helper. Yeah. And that's just as hard, I think, if not more difficult sometimes than being the man in leadership is being the woman who is having to be the helper to someone who is not walking with Christ and remaining faithful to him and remaining faithful to her biblical calling. Right. Well, that's actually, you know, Peter writes about that in First Peter. Yeah, yeah. He says this, he says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, mm. right? So that even if you have a non-believing husband, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Right? What a calling, women. Yeah. So that even if you don't have a believing husband, as, 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 so, as so far as it's not breaking God's commands, yeah. you still respectfully submit to that man's leadership. And if you do that, that's going to, like, that will confound a non-believing husband. And it has. I mean, yeah. there are examples in our church. I don't want to say names on the podcast, but... I know of two couples, uh, actually three, in our church where the woman was a Christian, the man was not, and 
through the wife's godly influence, the husband was won to Christ. Mm-hmm. And now those three, well, one of one of the men has passed to be with the Lord at this point, but two of those men in particular are some of the most godly saints we have in our church. Oh, yeah. And they didn't start out that way. Yeah. But the wife was faithful. Right. So um, that's pretty much... I think, Jordan, unless you have anything else to say, that's pretty much what we have to say on, on gender. It's already uh, a lot. <laughs> it's already a lot. Um, I, we already said this podcast was going to be long, this episode. We knew it was going to happen that way. But but the second part of that question was equally as important, and we've kind of touched on some aspects of it, I think. But So what does the Bible say about gender and also sexuality? And that second part's a big one because yes. um, sexuality these days is almost as fluid or, I mean, almost, there are almost more sexuality types as there are gender types these days, if you get what I'm mm-hmm. saying. I mean, growing up, there was just, you know, you were either heterosexual or homosexual, but now there's bisexual, asexual, there's pansexual. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of sexualities that you can't even, you know, keep track of anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most common things I hear pretty consistently is that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. Jordan, have you heard that? All the time. All the time. Um, yeah, it, it's they always go to, and I'm going to let you tackle this. Yeah, yeah, we're going to look this, at a bunch it's gonna, of verses. Um, uh, you'll be able to go into a lot deeper than, than I would in this sense, but a lot of it comes down to that word, homosexuality. Yeah, yeah. Right? That they will say, well... Um, you know, well, let's go to the original languages. The word homosexual is not in there. Well, it also wasn't written in English. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the idea of that, and I've even heard an argument recently that uh, homosexuality was different somehow yeah. in times back then that they didn't have the kind of, uh, big air quotes here, healthy monogamous homosexual relationships like we see today, that it was all abusive and things like that. Yeah even though there are actually a lot of ancient um, literature sources that show evidence of the exact same kind of homosexual relationships that we have today existed back then. Yeah. Um, there, there was no difference between um, what we call homosexuality now and what it was called in their language. Yeah, right? that's right. So um, this is a big issue for me. There was a, a book written a long time ago, not that long actually, um, it was by Matthew Vines, and it was called God and the Gay Christian. I actually did my senior seminar, uh, senior seminar on that book, and uh, it's over there on my shelf right now. But um, I, I, I just this this man Matthew Vines. He he basically he was gay, and he wanted also to be a Christian, and so he. Uh, basically went through the Bible, found every passage that mentioned homosexuality, and then he went and found a bunch of liberal scholars who would tell him what he wanted to hear in order to justify his sin, rather than knowing what the Bible actually says. And so I went through, and I started writing a book-long response to that book, and just going through each passage myself, because uh, anybody who knows me knows I love the original languages. That's my, my first resource when I'm prepping for a sermon. I go to the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Greek, whatever it is, and I, I just love digging in. I love the languages. And I found that it was just totally wrong, everything that he was saying. And I've heard arguments since then. I mean, uh, Anna was telling me about a post she saw recently on social media where this guy had shared an article that was saying the exact same thing, that there is no passage in the Bible that condemns homosexuality. It meant something different back then. The original languages don't even condemn it. And I, you know, my ears perk up and I'm like, oh, that's not right. Of course they do. You know, so 
So I thought it'd be good to go through some of these key passages. There's like six or seven, maybe. And we won't we won't go as deep into them as normally we would, but Jordan's giving me a look right now. What's that look for, Jordan? Will we? <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but let's, let's just dive in. The very first one in the Bible that we encounter is in Genesis 19, 5. All right, so just for the context, if you'll remember... Um, Abraham had just talked with God, and God said that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham was pleading with him to spare the city if only he could find this many righteous people. And at the time, Abraham's uh, relative Lot was living in Sodom. And so God sent two angels into Sodom to get Lot and his family to spare them. And this is what Genesis 19.5 says. So, so basically the men of the, the city, uh, once they saw the angels in Lot's house, the men of the city come, all the men, it specifically says men of every age, uh, came to Lot's door, Genesis 19.5, and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, that's a very important phrase there, very important uh, word that's used there because this is one of those passages where people will say, well, here's a clear example of homosexuality, but there's another side that says, well, that's not actually what's being addressed here at all. Do you know what people actually say, Jordan, the counter to this? Uh, might not know what you're going. Yeah. Okay, so people will say that this has nothing to do with homosexuality, that the sin of Sodom was inhospitality. I have heard that. Yeah. 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 So when you read the story, it doesn't really come across that way at all. But they will compare it to Genesis 18, and they'll say, well, Abraham was hospitable to the three strangers who walked up to his camp. But then you compare that to the the men of the city of Sodom who were seeking to brutally rape these two angels. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Lot, he wasn't a great dad here because he's like, hey, please don't rape these two angels that I have just come into my house. Let me, I've got some daughters. Let me send yeah. the daughters out and you can have your way with it. So not a great showing on Lot's part, but the interesting thing is that the men of the city are persistent. They do not mm -hmm. even want the females. So they had the opportunity for young females who were uh, obviously fairly young at this point because they're going to give birth later on. They're at that age where they can still do that. They do not want young females. They only want these two male angels. And they say, bring them out so that we might know them. Now, here's why clearly this passage is about homosexuality. I mean, it's, it's just hard to get around that. You, you can't say it's about inhospitality because that's not even what's going on here. Um, this phrase that they use, bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, I did a long, long research um, on this one time. I was doing a lot of research on different words and phrases in the original languages used for sex and in, in, in intercourse and things like that, right? And there's a couple different ones used in Hebrew. The interesting thing is this phrase, know them, almost always, I think there's only like one time in the Bible where it doesn't, but pretty much always is specifically uh, intercourse between a married couple for the purpose of procreation. Hmm. So think back to even uh, in Genesis, Adam knew, knew his, his wife. wife, right? Mm -hmm. Even it's attributed to Cain. Cain knew his wife. So it, this word knew almost always, I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time, only occurs within the context of a marital relationship for the purpose of bringing forth offspring. And that's what they're desiring here. 
So this is not just an inhospitality thing. This is not just a, a mere attraction. They are literally seeking to have with these angels something that is only meant within the confines of a biblical covenantal marriage for the purpose of bringing forth offspring. And that's going to be very important later on when we get to another passage in the Bible that specifically condemns um, look at the specifically condemns homosexual relationships and what the sin of Sodom actually is. Well, I think you'll probably sounds like you're going to dive more into this when you get there. But let's I want just our listeners and us to keep this in our mind. Of I think this is God. Um, you know, the Bible's written on purpose. Yeah. Um, and God's doing a very important thing here. This is the very first time we truly get a look at homosexuality. Yes. And it's using that word. That's for. It's meant to be for intercourse for the purpose of procreation between a married couple, right? Yes. That's exactly what Satan wants to do to sexuality, yes. to humans. He wants to destroy it. Sexuality and is that's supposed not... to be good. Yes. And so the God showed us from the very beginning of Genesis that sexuality was made to be a good thing between a husband and a wife. So the very first time we see this act here, it's even still using that exact same word yes. that was meant to be a beautiful and good thing, and it's for a destructive purpose. Yeah, and and I was going to say that's not to be hijacked by homosexual couples today saying, well, if I have that desire to know and to have the that intercourse within a covenant marriage, you know, between a man and a woman, which, I mean, they couldn't if they're homosexual, but but it is impossible to have that as a homosexual couple because it's not just intercourse between a, a husband and a wife. It's for the purpose of procreation. Right. And and you can't get around that in the Bible. I promise you, you can look it up. The, the Hebrew word is yadah there. And every time yadah is used in relation to sexual intercourse, it is specifically between a man and a woman who are husband and wife. So they're married, and it is for the purpose of bringing forth children. I think there's only one exception to that in the entire Old Testament. So that's a very clear example of where the Bible is saying this is a homosexual act, and God is ultimately going to condemn them. There's a lot of sins that God ultimately condemned Sodom for. I mean, their destruction was brought on by a lot. But this kind of puts them over the edge. I mean, right. this is the spark that lights the the wildfire. So yeah. another really important passage is uh, it's actually found in Leviticus. So this comes in the law. Uh, this is Moses giving the law to the people of Israel. And Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, Jordan, you have any thoughts on that verse? Heard anything said about it? <laughs> well, I've... I heard many times that the Bible never explicitly condemns uh, yeah. homosexuality, and this is normally one of the first verses I go to. Yeah. And that word abomination, I think, is important. Toavah. Yeah. It goes back to what I was saying a second ago, is it is an abomination before the Lord. Yes. God made uh, sexual relations between a husband and a wife to be a, to literally be a picture of Christ in the church. Yes. That's literally what it's for. It's it's why it's meant to be such a beautiful thing because it's supposed to be one of the most, and it's kind of it might sound weird to a non-believer listening, but it's supposed to be one of the most spiritual experiences you can have That's as a married right. couple. Yes. It truly is. And so Satan knows that. Mm. And so anything that messes that up is truly seen by God as an abomination. Yeah. Well, with this verse in particular... What tends to happen, and there's even a, uh, I'm very, very tempted to say the name of the church, but I'm, I'm going to refrain 
I'm going to restrain myself for the Proud sake of, of our... Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for the podcast <laughs> listeners. But there is a church in our area within 20 to 30 minutes of our church where their pastor wrote a book, and uh, he specifically mentioned some of these verses, and he was trying to tell his church that he was an original language expert and stuff like that. And when he got to this verse, he said, you know, the Bible clearly says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. He said, this verse has nothing to do with homosexuality at all. They just going camping and like yeah, yes. hanging out <laughs> right. in, in the tent next to each other. Yeah, so he said this this has nothing to do with uh, with homosexuality at all. He said um, basically, and I've heard others make this argument that it's a condemnation of the pagan practices that were going on in the the land that the Israelites were about to inhabit. And what would happen is there was this um, type of relationship, you know, pederasty, basically, where an older man would have a young child, I mean, could be 12 years old or younger, with him, and he would basically be using that child for sexual gratification. So it was uh, an abusive relationship. It was something that was non-consensual. And um, and so they would say that this verse is condemning the act of pederasty and that type of, you know, taking advantage of someone and, and even rape in certain situations and things like that. But Moses is telling the Israelites, hey, don't in, engage in pederasty. Don't be a guy who goes and finds a, a, a young male child and, and takes advantage of them that way. That is an abomination for the Lord. Well, that's just wrong. <laughs> I mean, plain it and simple. It is an abomination for the Lord. Yeah, that is an abomination. But, but that interpretation is just is just blatantly wrong. I mean, I, I, I said a second ago that I did a, a whole lot of research on all the different uh, Hebrew words and phrases that were used for intercourse and sexual activity and things like that. And the one that is used here, the the lie with, it's very interesting. It never occurs within a romantic uh, marriage relationship. It is always just, it's basically, you can think of this phrase when you see lie with as carnal sex. It's just mm-hmm. sex for pleasure of it, right? And what's interesting here specifically is this is written in a very interesting uh, way in the Hebrew. It literally in the Hebrew, it's like, and with a male, you shall not lie down the lying downs of a woman. That's how it's written in Hebrew. And here's why that's important. It's because it's written emphatically. Mm-hmm. It starts with, and with a male. See, Hebrew is not written um, it, with starting with like the object of something, you know, like that. And with a male, you shall not lie down the lying downs of a woman. Typically, Hebrew will start with the verb. And then sometimes the subject and object, sometimes it's the verb and then the object and the subject, right? So you can think back to uh, Genesis 1.1. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, so here's our context, he created. So we have immediately our verb. He created. What did he create? God. So the subject comes after the verb. He created God, the object, the heavens and the earth, right? So if you were thinking in terms of this, you, you would think it would say, the lying downs of a woman, you shall not lie down with a man. It's an abomination. Mm-hmm. But when you want to say something emphatically in Hebrew, you begin with the object and the subject. And so it starts with, and with a male. Mm-hmm. You, you, see the, you see the importance there? It's literally starting with the thing that upsets God the most. Right. With a male, you shall not lie down the lying downs of a woman. It is an abomination to the Lord. And so this verse is actually condemning um, all homosexual sexual activity. It, it's, it's blatantly condemning them because uh, notice that it's not even saying that, hey, even if this was a monogamous consensual relationship, at the end of the day, it is still 
lying down the lying downs of a woman. Mm -hmm. And so no matter if this is pederasty or if it's consensual, monogamous, whatever, any form of sexual activity within a homosexual relationship is an abomination to the Lord. And this gets reiterated in Leviticus 20.13. It's basically the exact same verse again. It says, If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They, are, uh, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, again, notice that it's even if this was consensual, even if this if it's pederasty, if it's consensual, if it's monogamous, if it's committed, if they're unionized or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> if, they, yeah, if they have a, a union together, if a male lies with a male as with a woman, it's an abomination. There is no getting around that. And I, I will challenge anyone who wants to say that the original languages do not condemn homosexuality because, brother, I'll go toe-to-toe with you on the original languages, and I will show you in the Hebrew how it, it absolutely does condemn homosexuality. But that's what a lot of people do. The guy who wrote the book that you talked about, yeah, what did he do? He went to the Bible. He started good. <laughs> he True. went to the Bible. But then he said, all right, now let me go get someone else's opinion, too. Yeah. Look. He had a feeling he was trying to validate. <laughs> yes. If we literally let the Bible speak for itself, it takes away the argument. Yes. We, we're we not here to convince you of Jordan and Alex's opinions on this. That's right. We're here, like Alex is doing, to open the scriptures and just tell you what it says. Yeah. That's it. Which will get you in a lot of trouble. I know that personally. It I will. can show you the emails. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's our job. And that's yeah. when, like going back to the truth thing. We're here to share truth. And we didn't come up with the truth. It's found in the scriptures. So, like, like Alex, you're going to go to even some more passages here. Yeah. But that, that's our point, is not to get our opinion. We're just taking what God's word says. And to anyone listening who might have been challenging this thought, I want, I want that to be a challenge to you. Take your emotions out of the equation. Yeah. Take your opinions out of the equation. Especially if you, if you consider yourself a Christian and a follower of Jesus. Take your opinions out of this and see what God's word says. Yeah, because oftentimes, I mean, that is exactly what happens. People will feel a certain way, and they'll go to the Bible, and they will find verses that condemn that feeling, you know, maybe with homosexuality or other things. Um, but then what they do is because they, they don't want to give that up, is they, they seek another interpretation. Can someone please explain this to me in a way that's going to make me be able to continue doing what I want to do? You right. know, like I, I've heard this one before, totally unrelated, but... The, the passage that says you shall not neglect uh, meeting together as a church, mm -hmm. as is the habit of some. You know, there are a lot of people who are very flaky when it comes to commitment at church these days. And, and they'll say, well, the Bible, that passage doesn't actually mean we need to come to church all the time. I've heard other people say this and that and that. And, and they're just all they're wanting to do is just find an interpretation that's going to allow them to continue living however they want to live. And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, who are you ultimately trying to serve, yourself or God? Mm-hmm. Because we, we're not called to serve ourselves or our own feelings. We're called to submit ourselves to God. And so this is what his word says. So that's Leviticus. And what's interesting, there's actually a passage that corresponds to this. And I wrote an entire paper on this from Ezekiel chapter 16. Interestingly enough, there was a, another scholar who wrote basically the same paper and published it in the journal of the Evangelical Theological Society. Hmm. And I read it and I was like, Anna, I've got that paper on my computer. I just never published it. And she's like, well, it's too late now. So, But he found the same thing that I did, which in uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 16, 
verse 50, uh, this is the Lord talking to Ezekiel about Sodom and how Sodom was condemned for their abomination. And it says, they were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Now, here's what's very interesting about that. The Lord says they did an abomination before him. Hebrew word there, toavah. Now, normally, toavah would be plural, abominations, and or it would have a, a definitive article, ha-toavah, something like that. The only time this phrase, an abomination, is used, can you guess where the only other occurrence is? Hmm. It's back in Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both have committed an abomination. In other words, the only time that phrase, an abomination, is used, the three times it occurs in the Bible, is in Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 is referencing back to Sodom, which means, let's put all the puzzle pieces together, the sin of Sodom was not inhospitality, it was their homosexuality. That was the abomination that caused the downfall of Sodom, ultimately. The Hebrew language backs that up. Uh, just to go through another one very quickly for you, Romans 1. Jordan, you're very yeah, familiar well, with this? Yeah, well, this is important, too, because, you know, well, Alex, all of this is in the Old Testament. All of yeah, this yeah, is in right. the, the old law, the old covenant. But that's gone away That's now, gone away. We don't say. need to deal with that anymore, right? Right. We're New Testament Christians, they say. Well, speaking of which... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Romans? In Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, it says this. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And it's talking about here the, that people had chosen to turn their backs on God, right? That they've chosen to live in their sins. So it says, um, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. That phrase there, contrary to nature, right? Yes, key That's phrase. Important. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Mm -hmm. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Yes. So that passage, how do the people interpret it today? Uh, anything but homosexuality. Right, right. Yeah. Basically. So, so the key... The, the key argument here when people interact with this, and you know, again, we're addressing those who would say the Bible in no place condemns homosexuality, um, especially it never condemns monogamous, consensual, loving relationships between homosexuals. Uh, they look at this passage and they say, well, hey, their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature in the same way the men did the same thing. They gave up what was natural to them for something that was unnatural. And so the main argument at this passage is, well, if homosexuality is natural to you, God is okay with that. But if homosexuality is unnatural to you, then God does not want you to participate in, in homosexual acts because then it is an abomination, then it is wrong, then it is a sin, if it is unnatural to you. But if it is natural to you, that's fine. They would say God just doesn't want you to go against nature. But what is, is that what Paul means here? Not at all. Okay, so how is Paul using nature or natural and unnatural in this passage? We'll see. I'm 
I'll let you dig into this one a little okay. bit more. Okay. So, so basically, if you look at the entire context of Romans 1, Paul is taking it back to creation. He's saying, hey, God has made himself known in creation. Mm-hmm. He's made himself and his attributes of visible in creation, that you can look to creation and know that there is a God. He takes it back to the creation of, of man and woman, and then our sin against him and how we exchange the glory of the Creator and began to worship and prefer the creation. So it's all about creation and how God created everything. So this is not talking about what comes natural to you as a person and what you feel is natural to you as a person and what you feel is unnatural to you as a person. It goes back to God's creation. Again, context is king. In all situations, context is king. And the context is talking about God's creation. When God created man and woman, the creation, what was natural, was for a man to be with a woman. And what was unnatural was anything other than that, anything other than one man, one woman, and a monogamous um, relationship of a marriage together was unnatural. So so that's to say that it's not about what you feel is natural or unnatural. It has to do with what corresponds to God's creation. And so, yes, this is another example of God condemning homosexuality and the Bible saying that homosexuality is a sin because it is unnatural to God's creation. It goes against his design for humanity. you have anything else you want to say on that, Jordan? Um, yeah, I, I think, like, like you were saying, going back to what is natural, it goes back to the beginning. It goes back once again to that concept of what actually is truth. We mm. said very early on in this that God is the one that created us, and so the laws of nature that he put in place are what is true. Yeah. You know? And when he created, like you said, he created man and woman, just to be frank, um, he, one of the main purposes he created us was to procreate. Yeah, absolutely. Was to fill the earth. That's right. That's what we were created to do. It was one of the major things we were created to do. And so, like I said, just to be frank, homosexuality destroys that. That's right. It, it goes it, against it God's goes against design and purposes. Nature. Yeah. And, I mean, that's not a, that's not just a spiritual argument. That's a scientific argument. Yeah, that's true. That's a... A natural argument. You you have to take truth and science out of the equation to claim otherwise. Yeah, and and you know, just to, I mean, I, I guess this is as good a point as any to mention this, but it's a very slippery slope. And I know people don't like the slippery slope argument, but it really is because if we're going to just be affirming everything we feel, right? So so for instance, you know, with this passage in particular. So I guess it's it's not out of context because. People today will say, well, hey, homosexual desire comes natural to me. I was born this way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, there's no scientific evidence to back that up whatsoever. Right. And I think you would say that no one is born homosexual, but no. it's entirely possible for someone to be born with homosexual desires and temptations and mm-hmm. things like that. But again, just because that might come natural to you, a, a homosexual desire or temptation might come natural to you, does not mean that that's how God wants you to be. Yeah. I mean, and if we start affirming everything like that and promoting it and accepting it, you end up with a very scary world, right? Mm-hmm. Because if a person says, well, hey, I I was born this way. Uh, I can't help but being attracted to the same sex as me. Uh, it's just what comes natural to me. I need you to affirm me and accept me and allow me to love who I love because that's what they say, right? Love is love. Yep. Okay, well, how do we apply that to other people? W- what about the grown men who say that they can't help but be attracted to children? They were born this way. It's what comes natural to them. They can't help who they love. Love is love. So and, are we? And to, before 
any listeners try to like scoff at that and say that doesn't actually happen, it does. Yeah, there's a growing movement there's right now. There's a very disturbing growing movement. Of people of, who want us to affirm and accept yeah. pedophilia. They're, yeah, they're literally like asking. They want the LGBTQ whatever group to add the P yes. into that. And, yeah. and they even came up with their own flag and stuff. Yeah, that, that so, is a real thing again, that you can research is it. happening. Yeah. yeah, so it is happening. So, so what do you say to that person? If we're to be consistent, if you want us to accept the homosexual and say, okay, we accept you and approve, you love who you love, you have to say that to grown men. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to allow grown men to prey on young children? And if you're not going to do that, well, how do you make the distinction? Because you would have to say, well, this group says they love who they love. It comes natural to them. They can't do anything about it. But we have to condemn that in someone else. Where's the standard there? It's just a shifting standard based on whatever we say in society, and that's always changing every single day. Mm-hmm. How, if, if you can't tell a homosexual who to love, then why can you tell a pedophile who to love? I mean, it, the whole argument falls apart when it's based upon affirming how someone feels about themselves. Well, let's, the way you worded that, it, it all keeps coming back to this, right? Yep. The way you worded that is important. How can you tell someone who they can't love? Right. Fine then. You know what? Like you don't you don't want to trust me and that Pastor Alex? Okay. We're not saying it. Yeah. The Bible's saying it. That's right. When you do away with an objective standard, all you end up with is either yourself or society. And you can't dictate that. Mm -mm. You have to have some sort of outside objective standard in order to have any sort of order in a society Mm -hmm. at all. Because, listen, society changes its mind all the time. People will change their mind all the time. And there is no objective way to condemn pedophilia without condemning homosexuality. If you're going to affirm one, you have to affirm the other. Mm -hmm. If you're going to condemn one, you have to condemn the other. It's the only logical way. And interesting to note is that in that Leviticus passage where it's condemning homosexuality, it also condemns incest and bestiality. And what's very interesting, Matthew Vines, again, the author of God and the Gay Christian, he wrote that whole book about it. He was very deceptive because I discovered reading the book, he hides everything in his end notes. He doesn't use footnotes. He hides mm-hmm. it in the back in the end notes. And he admitted in that book that if he is going to affirm homosexuality, he also has to affirm and be open to incest and bestiality. Because there is no way to condemn one without condemning the other. There's no way to approve right. of one without approving the other. They all and, go hand in hand. And that, while we clearly don't have time to talk and cover everything, yeah. I want to make sure like people do know we're not only calling out homosexuality. I think we're, right. we're focusing on it because that it is question, one of the more... Yeah. It was the question. Yeah. It's one of the more prominent um, things in today's society. But all sexual sin is sin. That's right promiscuity, infidelity, cheating on a spouse, um, sex before marriage, lust, lust, just all of these things are condemned. And in the Bible, there are all things that are incredibly important to God and need Mm -hmm. to be important to us. Um, we're, again, we're focusing on homosexuality because of its prominence in our our current culture. That's a good point. But we're not leaving out these other things. It would take three more podcasts at least to cover all of those. (laughs) That's right. Um, but all of these are important. Like we said, God takes sexuality incredibly important. Yeah. One of the first things he made in the Bible. And so all of those things are important. I just want to make sure that yeah, know, yeah. our no, listeners hear that. That's a good thing. Yeah. So we're not saying that homosexuality is the sin that's beyond all sin, that it's the worst sin in the yeah, world no. or anything. We're not saying it's the only form of sexual sin. I, listen, 
I would say that homosexuality is a sin, just the same as if I, there was someone in my church who was having premarital sex. I'd say that's a sin. Yep. Um, any it's form, no worse. It's of no a worse sin. or anything. It's a yeah. sexual sin. Exactly. It's the uh, same thing with lust and all the other forms of sexual sin that that Jordan was talking about a second ago. That all of these things are sin according to God in yes. His Word. And so, I guess really to wrap it up with the sexuality aspect is that the Bible says that our expression of our sexuality is meant to be directed towards someone of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. that that expression of sexuality also, I mean, we, we didn't have time to get into all this either, but it should be, uh, if you're talking in terms of sexual expression, the only acceptable uh, form of sexual expression that is not sinful, according to the Bible, occurs within a marriage. Exactly. A, a marriage between one man and one woman uh, covenanted together within marriage. That means that polygamy is also a sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are in these open relationships or um, Poly- polyamorous, yeah, 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 polyamorous things like that. All of those are sinful as well. The mm-hmm. only acceptable form of sexual expression, according to God, occurs within a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Yeah. That's it. And so. That is what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. Jordan, anything to, to yeah. wrap it up and conclude? I think, um, and just to, to say, uh, as a reminder to people, because one of the other things you always hear people say is that like Christians like hate sex or yeah. <laughs> stuff like that, right? That's not true. That's not true at all. <laughs> because like I said before, we actually know why it was created. That's right. We know the real purpose of it. Christians don't hate sex. We appreciate it more than anybody else on the That's planet right. because we truly understand what it is. Is God wants it to be this incredibly beautiful moment mm. between a man and a woman in a covenantal marriage. Yeah, that's what He intended it for, and so far be it from us to to mess with His design for it. That's right. He wants us to experience that everything from understanding what our gender roles are, so that we can fulfill His purpose for us well in this life to then understanding his purpose for sexuality so that we can enjoy it mm. in the way that he wanted us to enjoy it. And anything else ruins that. That's right. So God's not trying to keep something good from us. No. He just wants something better for us. Yeah. That's, I tell our church all the time, like God wants more for you. God doesn't want you to settle. Mm-hmm. And all these expressions of sexuality that don't occur according to God's design, they are settling yeah. and they are lesser than what he wants for you. And so God wants more for you. He wants you to enjoy sex, but it has to be within his design. Exactly. One man, one woman, a covenant of marriage, a monogamous relationship. And so I, I would just say, you know, there are a couple more New Testament passages you can look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 1. Mm-hmm. We didn't have time to get into all those, but I do just want to conclude the podcast by saying that Jordan and I, again, we're not condemning anyone. Mm-mm. We're not approving and we're certainly not saying, you know, this is the fine. It is a sin according to the Bible, but we're not condemning anyone. If you're out there and you're struggling with gender dysphoria, um, if you are struggling, maybe thinking about becoming a transgender person or something like that, we want you to know from the bottom of our heart, we care about you. We love you because God loves you yeah. and God wants what's best for you. He didn't make a mistake when he created you. He created you exactly how you were to be. And so we're not over here condemning you. We're not trying to, you know, 
hurt your feelings or anything like that. No, Someone asks us a question. We're just trying to give the biblical answer to that and tell you there is hope in Jesus, mm -hmm. that you can find freedom and you can find peace in Jesus. Yeah. We share the truth with you, whether it steps on toes or not. Yep. We want to share truth with you so that you can live in that truth. Yeah. And find that kind of freedom that we have found. That's right. That's that's what we want for people. Not to like you said, not to condemn them. Yeah. Not to show them hate. Not to be angry with them, but to show them how much we love them just like Christ loves them. Yeah. And we do that by sharing truth. We do that by sharing what Jesus offers. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too, is you know, consider what we've said, but also do your research on transitioning mm -hmm. and, and the side effects and things like that, because I don't want you to end up depressed. I certainly don't want you to end up taking your own life. Mm -hmm. And so look into it, consider what we've said, and then understand that God doesn't make mistakes. Yep. You are not a mistake. He did not make a mistake with you. That's there right. is hope and there is freedom in Christ. And if you're out there, you're listening, and you're thinking, well, these guys, they hate transgender, they hate homosexuals. That's not the case at all. I, again, I, I've got a, a homosexual in my family, and I love him, and he knows I love him. Uh, again, I'm not going to mention names or how, what he is to me in my family, just for the sake of uh, his anonymity, but, but I love him, and he knows that I love him. He's never felt any sort of hatred towards me. He is my family, but he knows that I don't approve of his homosexuality. I don't accept it. And so we don't hate homosexuals. We love them because, again, God loves them. But we do want to call them to repentance and say that what you are doing, it is sin. Yeah. Whether you want to admit that or not, whether that hurts your feelings or not, according to the Bible, it is sin. I can walk you through every single passage in the Bible that mentions homosexuality or the topic of homosexuality. And I can show you the original language. It is blatantly and explicitly clear homosexuality is condemned. It's an abomination. So repent of that and come to Christ. Yeah. Because the Bible even says that there are homosexuals that change. I mean, mm -hmm. when, in Paul's letter oh, yeah. to the Corinthians, he says all these people, you know, some were cheats and scoundrels and this and that. And he mentions in some were homosexuals. Uh, he's mentioned all these people. He says, such were some of you, mm -hmm. meaning that they had changed. They had found freedom and renewal in Christ. Yeah. And so that's Look, offered to you as well. Alex and I, we're pastors of a church. We're no better people than, than you. If you're struggling with those sins, if you're struggling yeah. with those temptations, we're no better. No, we're not perfect We had to at repent all. of our sins. All the time. And every we still day. repent of our sins every day. And every Jesus day. saved us from those sins. Yeah. We, you, If you struggle with those sins, just because me and Alex have never struggled with that particular sin, you're no worse off than us. That's right. You're, you're just a sinner in need of God's grace, just like us. Yeah. I tell our church all the time, we're all just sinners in desperate need of God's mercy and grace. And, exactly. And so, yeah, my sins might be different from your sins. Your sins might be different than Jordan's. But at the end of the day, God calls us to repentance. He calls us to faith. And so I don't want you to feel like we hate you. I don't want you to feel like we're condemning you. But I do want you to know what the Bible says. And I want you to know that there is freedom and there is salvation in Christ. And so... We just call you to repentance, call you to faith in Christ. That's right. And um, yeah, Jordan, appreciate you coming back on the podcast. I yeah. know that we actually have another one. Spoiler alert. We've we got do. another one that we're going to be recording uh, together soon. But um, for whoever asked this question, sorry that it took us <laughs> so long to get to it. I know it's been months, but thank you for your patience. And we really do appreciate the question and we look forward to answering more in the future.